It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today, and, you know, we've got lots of stuff to talk about today. We are excited to tell you about our 935 guest, but before that, before we get into anything here, um, <laughs> you know, we've been talking about travel difficulties for a few weeks now for various reasons, and Mackling, we've got a, quite a situation happening south of the border right now. Yeah, it looks like this could turn out to be a very long day for some travelers. All U.S. flights have been grounded. Not a lot of information has been released just yet, but all air travel in the U.S. is shut down after a computer glitch at the Federal Aviation Administration. In a tweet out this morning, the agency said it was working on restoring its notice to air mission system and would keep people in the loop as their techs made progress. Now, travelers everywhere trying to catch flights to and from the U.S. have taken to social media to complain about flight delays and cancellations. According to the flight tracking website FlightAware, there were 760 delays within into or out of the U.S. as of 6.30 this morning. A check of the departures board over at Pearson Airport shows there have been several delays with flights already. At this point, no word on when this glitch may be fixed, but if you do have a flight to the States today, it is best to check to see if it's been delayed before heading out. Sandy Salerno. Global News. Now she mentioned 760 delays as of uh, about 5.30 our time just before 6 o'clock. It looks like there were nearly 1,200 delayed flights. And Mackling, you've got the the board up from Winnipeg? WAA.ca, the departures page is showing. I know there every day uh, during the week there's a Delta flight to Minneapolis, 6.55. That is still showing as on time. But that very well, based on that report, uh, could, if not should, be changing in the next little bit. So you'll want to keep an eye on this. If you're on that flight, mm. you're already at the airport. Yeah, it, 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 and look, just looking at the the departures out of Winnipeg, uh, I've not seen it. But the next one to the United States is at 9 o'clock, a flight to Phoenix, Mesa. Uh, so that's currently showing as uh, on time as well. So we'll keep an eye on that because <laughs> that's a mess. That is a mess. Absolutely it is. And I was wondering if this is going to impact flights flying over the United States. We haven't heard anything about that, but we will definitely keep our ears to the ground and we will share with you the moment we get it and it's possible for us to do so. We will share uh, any information on this developing situation with you, of course, this morning on the start. Uh, one of the things we're going to be talking about today just after nine o'clock is the snowmobile season because we were, you know, listen... I do, as much as I complain about winter, I do look forward to much of it. I, I think it's uh, it's picture, it can be picturesque. I enjoy my winter walks, and I just don't like the deep cold. But when I'm ready to actually put all my heavy gear on and go out and tackle it, well, that's a different story. I don't. I think I prefer walking rather than getting a frozen car. But uh, we like to also celebrate the fact that the weather is milder. But one of our listeners pointed out last week, hey, guys. Like I know you, I know you. You're enjoying the mild weather, but snowmobile are over here. Hello. Yeah, there are certain aspects of winter in Manitoba that a large percentage of our population get excited about. It uh, it it keeps them excited, keeps them sane. They celebrate it. Uh, they build their lifestyle, their weekends around either snowmobile and cross country skiing. We we're talking to Buck Pierce yesterday. He says he's taken up cross country skiing. What about the downhill skiing? Yeah, we had a bunch of snow in December. However, uh, is are these warm temperatures impacting the groom trails for cross-country skiing? What's happening at the ski hills? And this morning we'll find out how is this milder weather impacting the ability for Manitobans to get out and enjoy their snow machines? Yeah, because the this listener said that they, they're waiting for things to freeze, and I certainly scratched my head at that. I thought, what, what do you mean? It's been cold. It's been frozen for a couple of months, but... We had so much snow early that it created this insulation on top of, you know, creeks and, and whatnot. So there's a lot of water that had not yet frozen. So that's a problem. And, and it's really, even though winter is up to six months of the year, I guess the snowmobile season is maybe half of that if you're lucky. Well, we talk about the skating trail on the Forks. That's only been open for a handful of days now. Yep. And it's only likely to be open until the end of February. Yeah, it's maybe. If we're lucky. Two, typically, it's two months, and, and then it's gone. Right. So uh, the things that we celebrate and love most about winter are uh, are fleeting, even if winter overall is not. 
And looking at the forecast for the weekend, the extended forecast, Environment Canada calling for a high of zero on Sunday. Hmm. And the 14-day outlook, there's nothing above minus 12, at least, or nothing below minus 12 in terms of a daytime high. So, like, the typical high is minus 13 and typical low is minus 24, and we've got nothing close to that low for sure. Well, I was, uh, you know, I'm going to celebrate that, but I'm going to feel guilty now after that just little conversation we had a moment ago, feeling good about that, but I can't hide my excitement. I I don't like minus 25. Yeah, so we'll have more on that at 9.05. We'll speak to Yvonne Rideout, Executive Director of Snowman, a.k.a. the Snowmobilers of Manitoba. And then at 9.35, we are excited about this because we had the opportunity to first meet this man uh, back in 2019. He is the international ambassador of humor, comedian Sugar Sammy's in town. He is terrific. We met him, as you mentioned, in person, had him in the studio back at Polo Park. Are we going on four or five years now, Brett? Like it's, it feels like it's been a long time. Since we met him? Yeah. It's 2019. 2019. Did you just say that? And yep. did it go it's in okay. one year and out the other? <laughs> I apologize. It just feels like it was a long time ago. And his star has only continued to rise. He's extremely well known in Europe, France in particular. He's on France's Got Talent. He's one of the judges. Uh, He's hilarious. He's intelligent. He's cutting. In fact, I think somebody warned us about having him in the studio and having him on the air live uh, prior to our last interview. And when he left, I remember looking at you, Brett, and going, I don't know what anybody was worried about. He was fantastic. He was engaging. He was charming. He was kind. Yeah. And so really looking forward to reconnecting with Sugar Sammy later later on this morning. Yeah, he's a super interesting. He speaks four languages. He performs in the four languages. And I, if you go to his YouTube page, huh. um, it, it, especially when he performs in Canada and in, in Quebec, he will seamlessly go back and forth from English to French. And he doesn't do that everywhere. But the, the fact that he can perform... In multiple languages, all at the same time. It's pretty astonishing. And he has, he, instead of being heckled by his audience, he will heckle the audience. Oh, he's great at it. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, I would consider him a renaissance man. Yeah, that's Well-dressed, handsome. And rich. He was very happy to point that out last time he was here. And rich. Because he's, I think his, I can't remember what we asked him, but his answer was, well, first, I'm rich. <laughs> Ah, so he's cocky, but as you pointed out, he was kind. And uh, he's a celebrity judge on the France version of uh, America's Got Talent. So he's a cool guy. So that's at 9.35. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. Mr. Mackling, yesterday you shared a headline with me. Uh, I'm looking at a version from the Daily Mail. The headline, Wouldn't Wish It on Anyone, UK's Youngest Euro Millions Winner. Reveals the downsides of winning the lottery. Yeah, in fact, she is uh, Britain's youngest Euro Millions winner. And this goes back to 2017. She's been talking about this. Uh, She actually uh, won in 2013 and says that most days she wished she had no money at all. I thought it would make my life 10 times better. It's made it 10 times worse. I wish I had no money most days. My life would be so much easier if I hadn't won. So we wanted to talk about the idea of winning the lottery. I think most people mm-hmm. think about it and think it would be life-altering on the good side of life, but uh, that's not always the case. So what we want from you at 204-780-6868, would you go nuts if you won a lottery? Or would you, like if you were to say, you, you, if you were younger, or when you were younger, had you won a lottery, would you have any money left? 204-780-6868. Mr. Forte and Master Control, why don't we start with you, sir? I would definitely have money still. Um, Just right now, I'm always thinking, you know, I'm going to be working till the day I die. So, you know, if I won the lottery, I think I'd put a good chunk away for retirement just so I know that I can retire. Yeah. So, And and I'm I'm pretty financially responsible, so uh, I like to make sure that I always have money in case of emergency. So I, like, depending on how much or how much we're talking about here, just a million dollars. We're talking about, you know, seventy million. Wow, ah, whatever you want. She won what was it? A million pounds? A million pounds? I have no idea. What What's, is that? Yeah. So like one point six million yeah. Canadian or something like that. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. whatever. Say, say, say it's the big one. 
Well, if it's a big one, well, I would definitely save, you know, at least a million for retirement. And uh, I could give, you know, family, friends, and go on vacations. And, well, I definitely wouldn't be working if I won 70 million. If I won a million dollars, I would still work and save most of that for retirement or yeah. maybe a down payment on a house or something like that. But I'd still have to work if it's just a million dollars. Oh, yeah, for sure. Would 20 year old Jeff Forte still have money? Yes. Had you won the lottery then? Yes. Yes, I would. Yeah? Definitely. Wow. Oh, definitely. Okay. Sounds confident. Yeah, I, I definitely would not. If I won a big lottery <laughs> jackpot when I was 20, 25 years old, it would be gone for sure. Whereas 45-year-old Brett is a bit more boring, and I would, I'd want to get a, a new place, but nothing too crazy. I'd probably get a luxury sedan and uh, maybe some new golf clubs or something, but that's about <laughs> it. Like I, I have no aspirations to run amok. With uh, big lottery winnings. Uh, what about you, Cameron Portress? Uh I think I'd be okay, even if I won when I was 20. That's when I started to start putting money away. I learned how to save. When I was 20, I got into some uh, financial issues when I was about you know, 18, 19. First on my own, got my first credit card. And then after that, I became very, very tight. And um, I, I, I really started to put money away every month. It came right out of my paycheck. So I, I think I would have been fine. Uh, but like in terms of like, if I want, let's say 15 million bucks, I, first thing I would do is I would go and, and beg the boss for an extended leave of absence because I would go and travel the world and I would do all that stuff. And I don't know if I would get it. I would not quit my job, but I would retire very early. Like I would be like a 45, 50 year old retirement. And then I would take the rest of my, take the rest of my life, buy a house, buy a house down in Florida, somewhere around Orlando, uh, summer home. And yeah, I mean. That, that's that's pretty. I'd have a nice car. I'd have nice sunglasses. I'd wear a nice watch. <laughs> nice sunglasses. Uh, you know what sunglasses. I mean? Like I'd spend the three hundred dollars sunglasses, and I, I'd probably have nice clothes. But I don't. I don't really see. Like you would definitely spend on that kind of stuff. Like you'd walk in and be like, "I want that watch," because I want that watch. And then you'd leave um, and walk out with it and, and wear it all the time. But I don't. I, I I would definitely do that kind of stuff. But I don't think that I would be. Because if I looked at my bank account and I, and I would be like a million dollars light, I would be like sick to my stomach that I blew that money, and then I would I'd learn my lesson pretty quick. I think. Yeah, but uh, that would that would that would be in retrospect, and you would be in the minority because I've looked up dozens of articles, and every article says, and maybe they're citing the same yeah. research: seventy seven zero percent of all lottery winners end up broke. And and I can say this too: it's so easy for me to say that as somebody that has never won the lottery. That's you know easy I mean? to say until you're in the shoes. I, I'd, be, I'd be phoning a financial, my financial planner. That's the first thing I'd be doing. Yeah, well, that's 30-year-old Jeff Forte. But what would, like, Brett asked, like, what would 20-year-old Jeff Braun had done if, you know, you, you go into the SEV and they scan Bruce on and, tour. and you get the... <laughs> 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 I'd just be following Springsteen on tour. I'd still be gearing up for another tour this year, so it'd still be going sweet. Um, Cam, you would quit within a week because I guarantee you all you would get is people stopping at your desk to ask you about your money and it would drive you nuts and you would be I would just build so like a block around. <laughs> I'd just build like a like a, a place that you had to like knock six times to get in. I would build like a, a barrier around myself. See, and that's the analogy for what ends up happening to most people that win money is that they have to sequester themselves from the rest of society because you get inundated from people in your own family and friends who want to borrow money or just want money from you. And so by all accounts, it can be an incredibly lonely place to, to, to end up. And you get letters from people from all over the world that know about who you are that have never met you. Can you support this? Can you help me with that? It's tough. It's not as wonderful as everybody makes it sound. But would you, what about you, Mackling? Would you run wild? I'd, I would have at one point. I can confess that. Absolutely. At three million, I've always said, is sort of the magic number. And then anything over that, I would I would try and give it away. Anything over three million. Really? Yeah. Oh, so you can give one million to the to the to each of the boys? No. Nope. Oh, okay. No, no. I would pay off, I would pay off all my siblings' uh, mortgages and, uh, and you know, close friends and whatnot. It's too bad you don't have a mortgage, <laughs> Gary, because I would pay off your mortgage. And well, we then, can pretend I have one. We could pretend. We could <laughs> work something out. Why don't you just out. give them 200 grand? Then. No, no. It's not uh, too late to get a mortgage. I've had this conversation with my father-in-law, <laughs> and I think he's got a really great point. Like, you could be handed a whole bunch of money, but what better gift is there in life to live rent or mortgage-free? That's a pretty good gift from somebody. 
to not have to have that mo- monthly obligation. But, so, but you're saying because I don't have a mortgage, then I'm I'm out. I just said, well, why we wouldn't you pay his rent for the oh, next fifteen free. years? Okay, yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 we'd have to put it in annuity. There'd be strict rules around. <laughs> I wouldn't give any of you guys a penny, but just so you know. I just want to lay that down that now clear. because I got lottery tickets yeah, coming up this you're week. So. Not in, you're not in the, the, the lottery circle of trust, trust either, Braun. That's Sorry right. about that. <laughs> all right, so 204-780-6868. We have four passes to give away for the Winnipeg Renovation Show. We were just talking about renovations in our past half hour or past segment. Tell us a story about lotteries. Would you blow it? Would you save it? Would you share it? Would you regret it? Tell us a story for a chance to win. Maybe you know somebody in your life who has won a lottery. Maybe not necessarily a big one, but something smaller. Did it cause any sort of a rift? Tell us a story, 204-780-6868, for a chance to win those passes. We'll pick a winner at 915. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. We want to talk housing numbers in a moment. And then after Global News at 7.30, we're going to learn more about the Good Samaritan Law in regards to overdoses and intervening to help somebody who is having uh, experiencing an overdose. But before we talk housing numbers, we are asking you, what would you do if you won the lottery? Would you be able to hang on to some of the money? Would you blow it? When you were younger, did you have wild and crazy dreams about what you would do with that said winnings? What does Paul say, Greg? If I win the lottery, wouldn't go nuts, but would be very generous to animal shelters and my close friends and family. I would travel, but would likely travel the same way we do now. Now, I don't know what that means, Paula, but I would definitely step it up on the hotel side and I would fly first class every single time. That would be an absolute indulgence that I would partake in. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And whatever the 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 pre-screening programs they have, sign me up for every single one of those. The fewer lines I have to wait in when I'm traveling, the better. 204-780-6868 for a chance to win some Winnipeg renovation show passes. We'll give those away just after 9.15. So from the very beginning of the pandemic in the spring of 20. 20 housing prices began their surge to never before seen heights. It was something just about every real estate market in Canada experienced. Yeah, more buyers than sellers created multiple offer situations, which resulted in many cases houses selling for tens of thousands of dollars more than their list price. All this as people look to find the perfect home in an imperfect time. Those trends continued through 2021. What happened in the Winnipeg real estate market in 2022? Jeremy Davis is the Director, External Relations and Market Intelligence for Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board and joins us now. Good morning, Jeremy. Hi, good morning. Uh, good to be here and join you guys this morning. Well, it's good to speak with you. So so what did we see overall in 2022? Uh, yeah, thanks for the question. Uh, sales in our market could be summed up a lot like the last two seasons for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We had Two uh, record-breaking years in our market, you could say maybe even Grey Cup caliber years, followed by a year that ultimately finished not quite as well as those two, but still a really good year. So the first half of uh, 2022, we see not a lot of listings on the market, high sales and demand that ultimately led to multiple offer situations that uh, drove the prices up. And then around the midway point, we see listings and sales kind of switch places. And uh, the second half of 2022, we see the number of listings rebounding and sales leveling off. So despite the slowing sales in the second half, the high sales in the first half really carried 2022 to the third highest sales on record and the second highest total dollar volume. And I know in the second half, uh, maybe in the last four months particularly, people might have seen the uh, slowing sales uh, as a bad thing, uh, maybe seeing some of that in the news, but really it was a good thing because it brought our market back into balance. And that's really where we want to be because it puts uh, buyers and sellers on equal footing to get a fair price. Jeremy, after years of interest rate stability, what has the impact of higher interest rates been? Uh, So there's no question that interest rates had an impact in 2022. Uh, Certainly around mid-year, we see the interest rates uh, coming up, but uh, they are but one piece of a greater puzzle at any time in the market. There's things like inflation, cost of everything going up, financial uncertainty, personal 
uh, financial circumstances, the overall economy and outlook. We know there's always people in the market uh, buying and selling real estate, regardless of those factors. And ultimately, decisions are made on one's own personal financial circumstances. And when making those decisions, it's really best to use a realtor because they can help build a strategy based on those own uh, personal circumstances. So personally, Jeremy, I try to keep my fingers on the pulse of the market. I like to see what's on the market. I'll go to open houses. I do the parade of homes. And I notice that new homes are almost all including home offices. So was that a genuine trend to your knowledge? And what other interesting trends were there in the market and in terms of what people are looking for? I've certainly heard about the, the home office thing. Uh, obviously, a lot of people uh, working from home now. Uh, obviously, that extra room uh, could uh, uh, result in a higher price home. But um, certainly, one of the biggest trends we saw in 2022, which was a continuation from 2021, was the condominium market. Um, the condominium market was uh, experiencing growth that we hadn't really seen before 2021 and 2022. And I know the natural next question would be why, uh, if you put yourself in the shoes of someone looking to buy a residential detached home and you look at the situation we were in with two and a half years of unsustainable growth in our market, high sales, demand, and uh, not a lot of listings in the market, which ultimately drove the prices up. Uh, and then you add in things like inflation, cost of everything going up, interest rates, uh, there's lots of factors there that might lead uh, folks to reevaluate their own financial circumstances. And when you look at the price of a residential detached home uh, at the end of December, it was about $378,000 versus a condominium, which was about $243,000. That's a difference of about $135,000. So it's easy to see why some might have been opting for the more affordable option. And before we run here, Jeremy, uh, if interest rates was part of the story in 2022, any idea yet what impact they might play this year and what else we might see in our market in 2023? Uh, yeah, thanks. So we're, we're still kind of crunching those numbers. Uh, we do have our Market Insights event on February 16th, uh, so I would invite you to come out. Uh, uh, anyone interested to hear what, what might have happened in 2022 uh, and maybe what might happen in 2023? We've got a couple of local speakers, myself included, uh, and a couple of national ones who will provide a more in-depth look of what happened in 2022 and offer insights into what might happen both in the economy and the uh, housing market in 2023. So stay tuned. But what I can say is if we, saw, if we see the trends that we saw in the second half continue with sales coming back to earth and the number of listings holding steady or improving a little, as well as the returns to the seasonal changes that we're used to seeing before the pandemic began, I think we should be okay in 2023. Jeremy Davis, Director of External Relations and Market Intelligence for the Winnipeg Regional Real Estate Board. Thank you for joining us, Jeremy. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks again. Thanks for having me. It's Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. Just a quick heads up on the, the FAA situation in the States with hundreds of delays. 20, as of 6.30 this morning, there were more than 2,500 delayed flights within, into, or out of the United States. And just looking at Winnipeg, we had a flight from Winnipeg uh, to Minneapolis on Delta scheduled for 6.55. It's currently listed as boarding, uh, but the time has sh- shifted to 8.30. Oh, boy. Well, three minutes ago, the FAA put out this notice on their Twitter. The FAA is making progress in restoring its notice to air mission system following an overnight outage. Departures are resuming at uh, EWR Airport. I think that's New York. Yeah, uh, Atlanta. Uh, due to air traffic congestion in those areas, we expect departures to resume at other airports at 9 a.m. Eastern time, so 8 o'clock Central. All right, so we'll keep an eye on that to see if the situation continues to improve or devolve. In the meantime, we're asking you for a chance to win Winnipeg Renovation Show passes for this weekend. Uh, about a big lottery win because we learned that a young British woman who won a million pounds 10 years ago regrets it. 
which is shit that had never happened. And that caught us off guard. So we're just wondering, what would you do with the lottery win? And would you still have money if, say, you won it 10 years ago? Yeah, and she keeps talking about it and sharing her story. And so we had this discussion, and it's our contest question. Poitras mentioned buying a place in Florida, Brett. I think when we think about buying a second home, most of us think going south, we think warmer, not Kevin the Dreamer. Kevin says I'd move to the Yukon. Secluded log cabin with no neighbors. Within 100 miles would suit me fine. All the wife and I would need is our own private pilot and bush plane and satellite phone, groceries and amenities delivered by air, and a monthly visit to civilization to remind us why we made this decision. Kevin, I love this. I love this idea. Hey, I'd, I mean, I, I, I've never been to the territories. I think it would be cool. Anybody I know who's gone up there says it's fantastic. Uh, but the older I get, the, the idea of a secluded home <laughs> in the middle of nowhere... Sounds more attractive. Yeah. (laughs) No internet or limited internet. Yeah. Well, hmm. you got to keep track of what's going on. And plus movies, like how else are you going to? Yeah, that's a good point. That's a big part of your life. You're not giving that up. (laughs) Could I give up my internet so I can be cut off from all my streaming movies? It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. In a moment, we are going to delve just a touch deeper into what exactly is Turo. But before that, there's a headline at cjob.com and globalnews.ca that's getting a lot of traction this morning. WWE co-CEO Stephanie McMahon resigns as Vince returns as executive chairman. Say whatever you will about wrestling, professional wrestling. Lots of fans around the world. Lots of people think it's dumb. Huge business. But this is particularly interesting, and one of my buddies put it this way. Have you, you watch the show Succession, Macklin? Oh, yes. For those who aren't familiar with the show Succession. We're coming up to the finishing line. Know your role. And remember, money wins. Here's to us. Last time I played a succession clip on this show, by the way, it didn't work out so well for me. <laughs> I don't think you were here, Mac. <laughs> no, but I, I, I heard the stories. Yeah, I'm, I didn't read about it on social media, so it didn't get away from you that badly. I uh, listened to that clip 17 times off the air because the last time I played a clip, I grabbed the wrong clip and played it cold, as in I hadn't checked what it was, and there are... There's a big old F-bomb in there. So uh, thanks to Jeff Forte for catching that mistake. But yeah, so Vince McMahon... He, because he had been, you know, sort of had to walk away. Some legal troubles? Yeah, some sexual harassment and, and serious problems. But yeah, he, so he's coming back. He, and he elected former, the elected former Chief Vince McMahon is, uh, he's the executive chairman of the board. WWE elected him the executive chairman of the board. And then Stephanie McMahon, his daughter, Resigned. So Succession is this show about this major, major media company, and the, the 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 patriarch was set to step away and appoint his son the boss, and then he decided last second, nah, I'm sticking around. And now at this, now we've got three seasons of this power struggle within this family. Fourth season, by the way, is set to debut in the spring. But this WWE situation. <laughs> is turning out to be a lot more interesting, I think, than the rest the product that it puts in the ring. Well, and if you read Stephanie McMahon's statement on the uh, internet, on social media today, it sounds like an amicable uh, amicable departure, but I'm getting the sense that maybe it's, it, it's not so much so. Yeah, she, she goes on to say in her statement, I look forward to cheering on WWE from the other side of the business where I started when I was a little kid as a pure fan. Also of note, her husband, Triple H, Paul Triple H Levesque, he will remain as chief content officer. But uh, so there's an interesting dynamic there as well. So I'm curious to see if he'll stick around. I wonder if that's just to keep the peace. Could be. You never know, right? Yeah, I mean, Vince McMahon ran the company four decades, and he said last week the only way for WWE to fully capitalize on growing demand for content and live entertainment was for him to return, return as executive chairman. So I, I'm going to keep my eye on this because it's it's starting to I'm, – I'm getting the notion that he almost wants to burn the whole thing to the ground uh, or just sell it and, and cut ties. I don't know what's happening there. So read more at globalnews.ca. And in the meantime, we want to ask you the question – 
Would you rent a car from somebody through an Airbnb-style website for your next visit to, say, Florida or maybe Hawaii? Yeah, right across the country, in fact. On the flip side, would you ever consider renting your car to somebody who needs the car for the day while they're visiting Winnipeg or could use your car while you're away on your own vacation? Both options are possible via Turo. You've been hearing about this in the news this morning. And uh, this is a vehicle sharing service operating around the world and across Canada. Manitoba and Saskatchewan are the final frontier. So I'm more likely to engage with Turo as somebody who wants to rent a car as opposed to, I'm, I'm unlikely to rent either of my vehicles on this platform. But this is this is sort of the natural progression of what we've seen with Expedia and what we've seen with Airbnb. And now to add the rental car situation and take it out of the hands, peer-to-peer as they call it, so that if you have something that's of value, you can put it on the open market and, I, and somebody just might take you up on your offer. I have so many questions about this. Like, how does the insurance situation work? If I rent your car and smash it, who picks up the tab? Well, MPI clarified that yesterday. They're in conversation with Turo. I don't. I don't think this is a situation like Uber, where it was an extended uh, situation that that that. Uber was, you know, years in the making in terms of coming here. Uh, MPI outlines what you need. It's you drive, it's you drive insurance, and and they are working with with Turo to come up with a solution to this so they can operate in Manitoba. MPI certainly not shutting the door okay. on on welcoming them here. Yeah, no, this is interesting. Well, our question of the day at cjob.com for Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace at 204-832-6243. We've seen a bit of a, a shift in the last couple of hours because when I checked it this morning, the question is, would you make your vehicle available for someone to rent? I actually started, <laughs> I started laughing because I don't know that I've ever seen such a lopsided result. Nope. Yes was at 1.59%. And no was 98.41. But we've since seen a surge. 4.21% of you are now saying yes, you would make your vehicle available for someone to rent. And no, uh, the remainder uh, at uh, just under 96%. I went on and I've been on the Turo website a couple different times this morning. And and I went on in Edmonton and in uh, Southern California, Carlsbad specifically. And there are dozens of vehicles available. So this isn't going to be for everyone on either side of the equation, Brett. But certainly it's uh, something appealing to much fewer people in terms of uh, the rental side and seems to be something people are doing. And a reminder that we're asking you to tell us, what would you do if you won the lottery? It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. We're talking hockey in a moment with Leah Hextall. After 9 o'clock, we're going to get an update on what's happening on the snowmobile front in this province. With the mild weather, you might be enjoying the mild weather, but there is a pocket of our population that might be hoping for something different. And then at 9.35, comedian Sugar Sammy. He is an international star. He's in Winnipeg performing at Rumors this weekend. He's going to join us at 9.35. And a reminder, that we are asking you to tell us a story about a lottery. Would you spend it all? What would you do with the money? Do you have a... Maybe you've already won a lottery of some sort. Like Don, who says, I won the lottery when I met my wife. (laughs) Somebody's checking his text messages. (laughs) That's what I. That's all I'm going to say about that. Aw, Don, it's so sweet. I'm sorry. And if you feel that way, genuinely, Don, and I think you do, yeah, based on your social media and our interactions, and that is uh, very sweet. It is. Uh, yeah, give me the money. <laughs> Tell us a story. We'll pick a winner for the Winnipeg Renovation Show passes at 9.15. We've got some great stories that we want to try to sneak in in the next 45 minutes. But right now, things 
did not exactly go as planned for the Winnipeg Jets last night in downtown Detroit. The Jets began their eight road games in their nine-game stretch with a 7-5 to loss to the Red Wings. The Jets got behind early Breton despite outplaying the Red Wings in extremely long stretches. The comeback ultimately fell short. Jets got as close as 6-5. It was an empty netter that made it 7-5. The loss cost coach... Rick Bonus, the honor of coaching the Central Division in the All-Star festivities, which was just a little bit of a twist of the knife uh, at the end of the night. Leah Hextall covers the NHL top to bottom for ESPN. She is also a regular contributor to our analysis here on 680 CJOB. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, gentlemen, and Happy New Year. I think I can still say that because I haven't spoke to you both yet, right? I like, I like your rule. It's way better okay. than Larry David's January 7th cutoff. So uh, I go by, if I haven't spoken to you, I can go right till the end of January. Got it. Excellent. How do we describe what happened last night in the Motor City? I think really the team just wasn't ready to go on time. And it's as simple as that. They got down 3 nothing in the period. They managed to get a little bit of a spark, but then came right back out in that second period and gave up another goal. And that just means that you're not ready to start on time. And that, that happens, whether you're a good team or a struggling team. It happens to all teams within the NHL. But it's something that you don't want to see because it costs them two points. And I think really for the Jets, what they're really going to be upset about is even though their game prior was a win in Vancouver, is it's been back-to-back games now that have been sloppy. It's been back-to-back games now that have given up a lot of goals. And that's not what you want to see in your team. You want them to get back to their structure so that they can get back to their winning ways and look at this as just a blip and keep going because they're going to face a couple good Eastern Conference teams to finish out this road trip in Buffalo and Pittsburgh. And we mentioned that last night's game marked the beginning of an eight of their next nine games on the road. The Jets are reintegrating some of their core pieces into the lineup. Is this a good time for some extended time on the road? I think so. I think the road is really important. And I know that we've heard this before, that when teams go out on the road, the one thing that they have the ability to do is just focus on hockey. When teams are at home, they have other responsibilities, whether it's family responsibilities or whether it's going out into the community. It is all part of their job, obviously. But when a team is on the road, they really get to focus just on the game and getting better as a team and as a unit. There's also the ability to bond. And that's always needed, no matter what what time of year it is. But the most important thing is you need to be able to win on the road. You have to be able to come back on the road. You have to be able to face adversity on the road. You have to be able to understand the travel of the road, especially for a Western Conference team, because there is so much travel involved. Because if you cannot win on the road, you cannot win in the playoffs. So this is a great test for the Jets in a month that is difficult for every single NHL team, which is the month of January. Leah Hextall is our guest this morning on our Jets report every Wednesday. 41 games halfway point of the National Hockey League season, Leah, and last last year we would have been discussing how last night's loss was proof positive of all the things that are wrong with the Winnipeg Jets. What have we learned about the Jets so far this year? What we've learned is that people in the NHL are talking about the Winnipeg Jets. I'll tell you guys one thing is that when I'm out and about in the United States and I, whether it's I run into analysts or coaches or general managers or even some of the players, a lot of them know I'm based in Winnipeg. And the first thing they say to me is, wow, look at those Jets. And the big thing that the discussion point is, is what they've been able to overcome considering the amount of injuries that they've had this season. So when we look at this being the halfway point of the season, first of all, We know now what the Jets have for depth. And I'm not just talking about some of the presence of Manitoba Moose players during the injury time. I'm talking about the fact that Kevin Sheveldayoff understands what his non-stars, his depth players were able to do in those injuries, the slack they were able to pick up and how they were able to come together to whether or not they won, but also be competitive. That's extremely important when he goes towards the trade deadline, which will be coming up here quicker than we think. The second part is that We have an NHL Jets team that is a defense that has been activated. And whether you want to give Rick Bonus credit for it or whatever it may be, this defense is second among points. We saw it last night, two big goals from the decor. You see what Josh Morrissey is doing, how well he's playing. But this is a decor that is activated, is helping with the offense while not giving up on the defensive side of the puck. And that is a great skill to have if you want to be a winning team. And lastly, it's just the adversity piece. And I've said it before, if you can't 
overcome adversity of a team, you are not going to be able to have an extended season and go deep. This team is showing that it can overcome adversity, not just because of the injuries that it's had, but as we've seen this year, the Jets have gone down. They've come back to win. We've also seen where they've had a lead and seen bang, bang goals and then had to go to overtime and one. Those are things that I don't know we've seen in the last two seasons from this Jets team. So something has changed and this group has come together and they have the ability to overcome adversity no matter who their opponent is on the ice. And that is a really good sign but the most important thing halfway through the season is we are talking about a playoff team and that is so important at this time of year leah i think it's safe to say that most of us not all but most of us dread january it's long it's typically the coldest month of the year so what does the month of january represent for nhl players and management the month of January is oh so important, and a lot of people talk about the stretch, but this is the thing. January is a month where every team has a consolidated schedule, and we're seeing this with Winnipeg. You guys just mentioned their road schedule, but I believe it's 15 games in 28 days. And in January, what you have to do is you have to hold. It's like holding your serve. You just want to hold. So if you're a playoff team, you just have to do whatever it takes to remain a playoff team. Right now, the Jets are in a divisional position. They might bump down to a wild card in January. Who knows, depending on what happens. But you just need to hold that position before the All-Star game. Because after the All-Star game, it's very quickly into the trade deadline, and that's the final push of the season. And if this Jets team can continue to play the way they're playing and hold that playoff position, it's going to give Kevin Sheffield-Dayoff a more optimum position heading into the trade deadline to see what this team actually really needs. And also to give him the ability to say to ownership, listen, look what we're doing. Look what we've managed to do, including in the month of January. We are a playoff team. This is what we need to do in order to push forward for the playoffs. So the month of January is tough. It's tough for everybody in the world, I feel like, but it's tough in the NHL for every team. But all you want to do is you just want to get through it and you want to hold your spot if you're a playoff team. I don't know this for sure, Leah, but based on the standings right now, we may have a whole lot more teams this year understanding that they are not going to make the NHL playoffs this season, whereas last year in particular, right down to the wire, there were teams and right down to the trade deadline that were like, we would probably sell under different circumstances, get get rid of some of our assets for younger assets and future assets. Uh, this year, we might see more teams this year who are definitely out of the playoffs by the time the uh, the trade deadline comes around, and that might make it that much more interesting. And I think what's important there, Greg, is the fact that when you look, it's the Eastern Conference this year that has the struggling teams more so than the West. A lot of times the East is quite strong, and you know we've seen that over and over again with the Stanley Cup champion coming out of it you know, the last two or three years. But the fact is you have some East teams, and when it comes to making trades, we all know it's hard to get into bed with somebody who you're going to be competing against in the playoffs or in the future. So sometimes it's easier to make trades conference to conference. So to your point, that could be definitely correct. What I find really interesting right now, too, is that we are also seeing, and this is what I mean about holding your spot, because teams like Nashville, St. Louis, Colorado, now that they're getting healthy, I mean, these are teams that are just outside the playoffs, but they're making pushes. And these are all, you know, we're talking about central division teams, which affect the Jets. So, I mean, it's going to just be so interesting down the stretch and see if these teams continue to push in the month of January and see where we are after the All-Star game, because that's really when business starts cooking is after that ASG game. So, uh, you know, but you want it to be like this. You want to have parity. You want it to be competitive. So all the Jets have to do now, and I say that tongue-in-cheek because I know how hard it is just to win in this league, but what they need to do now is they just need to hold it together for the month of January and see where they go from there. Leah Hextall covers the NHL for ESPN and is a regular contributor to our analysis here on 680 CJOB. Leah, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today at 9.35. Sugar Sammy, the international ambassador of humor. He's from Montreal. He lives in France. He's on France's version of America's Got Talent. He performs in multiple languages. He speaks four languages. 
And uh, he's hilarious. And he joins us at 935 to tee up his performances at Rumors this weekend. New York Times describes him as a fearless comic with a talent for provoking both laughter and outrage. Yes, indeed. If you And you want to get a sneak preview, just check out his social media, Sugar Sammy. You'll find him uh, on any of the big platforms. So... As we just mentioned in our forecast, we are experiencing a much milder January than usual. Looking at the 14-day outlook, for example, the lowest daytime high, and I know that can change, 14 days is a lot, but the lowest daytime high for the next two weeks is minus 12. And as mentioned, this Sunday, Environment Canada is predicting a high of zero. Hmm. So naturally, many Manitobans are happy for the milder weather, but we were reminded late last week by one of our listeners, hey guys. While you're basking in this warmer weather, remember there are people who wanted to be cold, like us snowmobilers. We need things to freeze. Yeah, so let's get an update on where things are at on that front. Yvonne Rideout is Executive Director of Snowman Snowmobilers of Manitoba. Yvonne, good morning. Good morning, Brent and Greg. It's uh, great to hear your voice. Uh, when you hear forecast high for Sunday of zero, do you, do you cringe a little bit? What's your overall oh, reaction? It's just crazy. I've been monitoring the weather conditions and the uh, extended uh, 14 day, as you alluded to. And uh, yeah, it's, it's not good for snowmobiling. So when we heard from that listener last week, Yvonne, who said that we need things to freeze, I know my initial reaction was, well, it's been cold for two months. Like what's left to freeze? So can you maybe just, and I, I know you spoke with our colleagues at Global News uh, la- early last week, but for those who may have missed it, what's happening out there? Uh, what happened is we got the snow early before we got the frost, and the snow provides an insulation, and that delays the freezing waterways, creeks, swamps, and so on. So that's where uh, some of these trails uh, come into play. Yvonne, how many of the trails, what percentage of the trails are open? Uh, about 70 to 75% are open, uh, but there's a lot of 43 out of 53 clubs have some trails open, but not all their trails. And we have 10 clubs that have no trails open. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because we had a text from a listener, Tom, who says uh, he's out in Tyndall, Manitoba, and he says all he hears all day and all night is snowmobiles, and they've been going for a month. Um, and so that, um, that leads to my next question How long is a typical snowmobile season? Typically, it would be, uh, you know, the first week of January into mid to late March. Last year, we opened early. We were open in uh, early December, a lot of trails, and uh, went late in the season. It was one of the longest years we had in history when it comes to snowmobile season. This season, uh, we're starting off a lot later uh, with some of the eastern trails, some of those clubs with no trails open yet. And they're looking at at least another week down the road, depending on the weather, before trails can even start to open in some of those clubs. And so we ask people, you know, for their patience. We're trying our best. Our club volunteers are out there signing. They're packing, trying to prepare the trails. And uh, we just want more snow. And uh, we want it to remain cold which is not in forecast. Well, when I think of Manitoba moving away as three times and moving back, when I think about the things that Manitobans love about living here, I always think about the lakes in the summer, cottages, swimming pools, camping, and of course, in the wintertime, using the weather and the climate to our advantage. How many Manitobans are involved in the snowmobile? How many, how many ride? How many own? Well, there's over 37,500 registered snowmobiles in the province, so that's that's quite a few, 37,500. And we we know that we have a portion of those, a little bit less than 60% of those, uh, buy a snowpass to use the trails. Of course, there's some people using the trails without a snowpass, and uh, the fine for doing that is $486, so we encourage people to buy the snowpass for 150 if you're going to be using the trail system. The money generated from the snowpass, obviously, or I'm guessing, goes to making the trails a possibility in the first place? It does. All the money from snow, the sale snowpass goes into a snow fund trust account. Uh, that pays out to the clubs based on their kilometers of trail for maintenance and also based on the kilometers that they groom. 
And in terms of safety, like let's say there's a trail that's open that does not involve any waterways at all, but uh, when it, when it gets milder, does that create uh, any safety concerns, or does it just make it for less than ideal conditions for riding? It makes yeah less than ideal conditions. Also, if it's a trail with a lot of traffic, the snow doesn't stand up very long. All right, Yvonne, where can we keep track of what's going on with the trails, uh, website, and uh, information, etc.? Uh, it's snowman.mb.ca, and I'd like to mention coming up is International Snowmobile Safety Week, so we, we encourage people to take our online safety course. There is a discount on that. Uh, and that can be found on our website. We also ask people, again, for their patience, ride right and ride sober. Yvonne Rideout, Executive Director of Snowman, the Snowmobilers of Manitoba. Thank you very much for the update. We appreciate it. Thank you. And indeed, uh, like we, I am okay with the milder weather, but I know there are so many people who are so super passionate about winter and winter activities, whether it's snowmobiling, skiing, whatever, and uh, to, you know, to have to just sit and wait patiently for your the what if if there's a specific trail that you go to to just have to sit and wait it's got to stink yeah no people have a lot of money tied up in these snow machines they're not inexpensive they're not inexpensive to run and the price of them through the pandemic i know people that were selling two and three and four and five year old machines for the exact amount of money that they'd paid for them oh wow previously and then they were upgrading at a substantial increase in cost but uh the market for the machines at least over the last three years has been un- unprecedented there's that word again yeah and and i guess it also the, there's a lot of a lot of business that relies on winter 100 as well and the milder weather might not necessarily be conducive to making said dollars It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today just before we uh, award four Winnipeg Renovations show passes this weekend, by the way. Uh, we have a couple of text messages here about an incident on Highway 12. We were just talking about snowmobiles and uh, the situation with snowmobile trails and how the mild weather isn't exactly helping. We have a note from Jeff and a note from Amanda. Jeff says, I just came from Steinbach via Highway 12 and just on the outskirts there was an incident involving a snowmobile and the highway going into Steinbach uh, as of 9.14 is blocked by fire trucks, RCMP and ambulance and Amanda saying the same thing. I'm working in Steinbach I originally passed it uh, around 8.20, and again, uh, now the highway is closed southbound between Clear Spring and Side Road, and uh, the snowmobile, well, uh, so we'll see if we can get an update on that, uh, and hopefully an update on the condition of the driver of that snowmobile. So, as it pertains to lotteries, we're asking you, what would you do with the winnings? Would you want to win a lottery? Have you won a lottery? Or maybe you know somebody who won something on a lottery. What does Steve say? When I win the big lottery, I'm not giving anyone a cent. <laughs> <laughs> the first person to ask me for money will be the last to get some. Now, if I'm going to Mexico, you can come with me and I'll foot the bill every time. Okay, that's right. interesting. Jeff says two and a half years ago when I cashed in a bunch of lottery tickets, the guy at the booth informed me at the last minute that one of the tickets had five out of six. Instead of $23 million, I won 2300 What a relief. I would have been married by now. <laughs> All right. That's an interesting way to look at it. Val says, I just have to tell you that many years ago, my cousin and her husband who live in Ontario won uh, not the jackpot, but a large amount of money in the lottery. So exciting. Then a couple of years later, get this, Brett, they won again. Wow. What luck, eh? That goes on to say their two girls who were teenagers at the time begged their mom and dad not to turn in the ticket the second time because they'd been teased mercilessly at school by other kids the first time around. Jeez, winning that money changed their lives. It allowed them to move out of the small apartment they lived in, located on top of the family store that they helped operate. Wow. Okay, that's interesting to imagine they that they would beg not to turn in that ticket. Donald is our winner. 
Donald T. says, I buy lottery tickets every week, and I've done this for years, and I buy the same kind of scratch tickets. You know, I would win small prizes, like 10 or 20 bucks. It reminds me, I got a $5 winner from uh, the one my dad put in my stocking for Christmas. Congratulations. Yeah, whopping $5. Um, maybe I'll buy a Whopper with it. So uh, one day, Donald says we were invited to a friend's place for cake and a drink for his birthday. So my wife said, oh, I've got a card. And on the way to their house, she said, how about let's put some lottery tickets in the card? So I ran into the store, bought my favorite tickets, and went to the party. Our friend does not buy lottery tickets very often, so didn't end up checking it for a month. But when he did, he thought he had one for over half a million dollars. <laughs> best birthday present he ever got, <laughs> and the best so. birthday present we've ever given. Yeah. And then Donald says, we are happy for our friends, and we feel a gift is a gift. We did not expect anything, but they did give us 10%, which was nice of them. How kind. Yeah. All the way around. Win. Uh, Triple win. For sure. That's the Because I always wonder when if you buy a ticket for somebody and they win, can you, as the, the provider of the ticket, can you ask for a contribution or should it be expected? Like if you like if you gave me a lottery ticket and I won, there would there would, wouldn't even need to be a discussion. You would be getting some of that money back. Like at, at what threshold? Like are you giving uh, Smash Gordon fifty cents out of your five bucks? <laughs> That's ten percent. <laughs> sure. I got two shiny quarters for you, Dad. Coming soon to a home in Transcona near you. Donald, congratulations! You won the Winnipeg Renovation Show passes. Have fun at the convention center this weekend. <laughs> It is Mackling and McGarry. McNabb is off today. Coming up in our next segment, we'll check in with Hal Anderson, the host of Connecting Winnipeg, to find out what he has coming up for you just after 10 o'clock. This weekend in Winnipeg, we have a special guest in town. He's performing at Rumors this weekend. He's not just a Canadian success story, but an international success story. We first met him in studio in 2019 as he was getting ready to perform in Winnipeg. Here's a chunk of what happened at Rumors last time he was here. So, so VJ, what kind of doctor are you? Microbiologist. Huh? So you don't, you don't look at people. No, you look, you look, you're at a, on a microscope, right? And you just write down reports and send them to the real doctors. <laughs> protective of our scientists here in these parts. He's from Montreal. He speaks and performs in English, French, Hindi, and Punjabi. He's a celebrity judge on France's version of America's Got Talent. He's doing four shows at Rumors on Friday and Saturday night. We welcome back to the start, Sugar Sammy. Morning, Sugar. Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me back. It's an absolute pleasure. Uh, I can I can speak very confidently on behalf of Brett on this one. Both of us have become huge fans of yours. And so being Canadian, being international, being as intelligent and quick-witted as you are, I've always marveled at the preparation you do for each of these shows. You've been here for a few days all, already, but when you saw mid-January Winnipeg on your tour, did you think, oh, come on, man? <laughs> no, I thought, well, what else do they have to do than go indoors and watch a, <laughs> watch a comedy show? They're all going to come out. This is going to be the best. It'll give them something to do. But uh, no, I've been to Winnipeg quite a few times, so I'm, I'm used to this weather. It's actually mild for Winnipeg this time of year. Yeah, it's been it's it's supposed to be zero on Sunday, which is kind of crazy for a January. But you know, you, you when did you arrive? Did you, was it Monday or Tuesday that you got here? I got it Monday night. Yeah. Okay, so that seems kind of early for a Friday and Saturday show. Like, do you come early so you can kind of get the lay of the land? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, and also you know just to to, to do some promotion for the for the weekend. But yeah, come in and try to try to see what's going on. Try to keep up on local news and. And just find some new material, and I and I always end up finding it by by the time Friday comes around. Now, this isn't a knock on your fellow comedians or those that are in the same industry as you, but we've engaged with several of your colleagues who are late 
hungover, didn't want to be here, felt that it was uh, an unexpected or unrealistic obligation to spend time in an interview that genuinely felt like something they didn't want to do. You, on the other hand, you show up, you seem to want to do the interviews, you're friendly with the media, I find it unusual, and you're likely going to have these shows uh, sold out. There's, Brett said there's only a few tickets left for Friday night, the late show Friday. You don't have yeah, to do this. Why do you do it? Well, I, I love it. I mean, I actually find like it, it's just always so interesting to meet everybody in town and also get to know everyone. And, you know, that's how I develop material as well. It's curiosity. It's this willingness to get to know people. And, I mean, that's, I think, the secrets of a lot of comedian success is like this curiosity to want to – get to know things. You know, I think France for me was uh, the reason I made it there was because I moved there, I lived there, and I really wanted to get to know the population, wanted to know that society and wrote a whole show for them. You know, it's like a roast of, you know, if I had time, I'd probably come down and make a, a big roast of Winnipeg. I'd have to spend a month here and really get to know the place and live like you guys. And then, you know, I'd love to do that eventually. So to me, that, that's, that's kind of one of those things that, that I love doing is getting as much information as possible and coming in early and meeting with you guys is such a great way to do that. It's such, I think, you know, an easy and clever way to do it. Sugar Sammy is our guest. He is performing at Rumors on Friday and Saturday night. So uh, when you take in the sights and sounds of the city as you, you prepare, like you, you do heavy prep and you can tell from any clip that you post on your social media that you, you, already seem to know your audience, you know the location. Uh, does that help you when you, because you like to sort of poke fun at your audience, does that help you when you're picking people out of the audience to ter- try to interact with? Yeah, I mean, as much information, as, as much as you can overload that brain with information, the better it is. So everything I'll see this week, everything I'll talk about, and you know, as much information as I can get, eventually it might come out on stage. It might not, but you know, a lot of times I'll improvise with someone in the audience and I'm like, oh, this that reminded me of so-and-so-and-so that I saw this week in Winnipeg. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, that's always the best way to connect with an audience. You know, and I think with Winnipeg, I've been here so many times that uh, that it's, it's always been key for me to come in a little bit early and just kind of get that lay of the land, like you said. We know that Toronto is multicultural, but we think of Winnipeg as super multicultural. How much of a gift is that in terms of the type of comedy you like to do, uh, the different cultures that'll be at your shows over the weekend? Well, that's what I love about Winnipeg, and I love about Canada in general, but Winnipeg has this thing where it's not only multicultural, which is like very, very surprising in this type of weather that you're attracting people from some exotic countries and they're staying, you know, like it's so multicultural, but it also is so diverse politically. And I think it's one of the rare places. It's like in the center of the country and people vote in every different way. I mean, it's not just like Winnipeg votes one way. There are different parts of Winnipeg that vote differently. And that I find for my type of social political Comedy is interesting, too, is to have a sample of different types of people in the audience, not just culturally, linguistically, but also politically. As far as linguistics go, I mean, you speak multiple languages, as Greg mentioned, English, French, Hindi, and Punjabi. What's your home base language? Like when you're just sitting around thinking, I'm kind of hungry, do I want to make something to eat or just order in? Like what, what, what language is in your head? Well, I just talk to my mom. I tell her, listen, no, I'm kidding. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> um, uh, well, when I'm in Montreal, it's obviously bilingual, right? So I'm always speaking both languages. You can compare it to, like, the border between Winnipeg and St. Boniface. That's kind of like, <laughs> that's kind of like uh, what, what it would be like. I mean, in Montreal, we kind of, we flow from one language to another. And I've met a lot of Francophones in Winnipeg will actually show up to the show as well. There's a big segment of the population here. So um, I don't do it during the show, but after the show, I'm able to speak and interact with people in both languages. Okay, so uh, I referred to you uh, earlier this morning as a renaissance man. You uh, were speaking to our weekend uh, wake-up host, Kevin Bergen, earlier this weekend, or earlier this week, rather. He's a handsome guy. You're a handsome guy. You revealed you were... Like Van Wilder, once upon a time, made sure to point out more than once that you took care of the ladies. You're a successful man, a celebrity. Um, when you're on the road, talk about the lifestyle. Do you, do you dabble or do you resist uh, the temptations of the road, so to speak? 
Well, I think I uh, put away that lifestyle a long time ago. I've been in a relationship for nine years, and we actually work together. So my uh, my girlfriend and I travel together. We work together. So that's long, long, long ago. So uh, I've, I live a, a comedian's lifestyle, but like a married comedian's lifestyle. And I have the perfect comedian's wife. Like She's awesome. She's able to, to, to you know... Uh, bounce you know bits off of me there like I'll, she'll be my sounding board for new material and she also you know tapes everything all the clips that you see online she edits them she puts them up there so i always say i have a a, a great thing going on because i have a wonderful girlfriend who's also tax deductible <laughs> excellent optimistic appraisal at the end there um we only got a couple of minutes but i'm curious to ask you because uh, i know that a lot of comedians take heat for jokes they make so when you perform do you kind of like vet your jokes i.e do you do you put it through a filter where you think is this too offensive or do you just let her rip no i let her rip and listen it, it, Laughter always wins. You know, uh, I always think the best joke is the first one that comes to your head. I don't filter myself. Uh, listen, if you're going to get offended at my jokes, don't come to the show. It's, this is not for you. This show is not for you. We actually, my audience does not want you at the show. Don't come infect us with that. <laughs> like we, we, we're going to have a great time. I've never worried about political correctness and that's always been my brand of humor. And people know that when they come to my show. Do you exploit here? This is a potentially hot potato question, but do you exploit yeah. you're a person of color? So do you exploit the fact that you're a person of color to tell some off color racial jokes? Um, no, I mean, I just talk about whatever I feel like is important, you know? So, um, I don't know if I go into racial stuff as much as I used to, but I, Joe, I, what I do, uh, do, I think is I don't filter myself at all. So I never hold back. I never go, well, I can't do this joke because this topic is off limits. I'm like, let's do it. Let's go. And let's find that best joke about this topic. You know, when I was in, uh, when I was in, uh, Quebec, I'd get, uh, so many warnings about not doing material about certain things and I, I went right for it so if you tell me not to do material about something i'll end up doing it probably so as for as mature as you've become on uh, the relationship front you're still a big kid at the end of the day don't tell me to not to do it because i'll do exactly that exactly and that's the comedian's job i mean look all these comedians that we've always loved that we always refer to these legends that we love have always been the ones who've crossed the line first and that's the comedian's job is to address things that are taboo in society, that are very delicate, and be the first ones to do it, you know? So we can't lose sight of that, and that's what I think society is doing a little bit. They're losing sight of it, and I think that's what our function is. We can't forget that. Just always stay the course, and eventually the pendulum will swing back, and I think it's going to happen very, very soon. All right, so you've got four shows this weekend. Three of them are sold out. Are there any tickets left for that second show on Friday night? Yeah, they're like less than 50 tickets from what I called Tyler Rumors uh, last night. He said there were less than 50 tickets for the Late Show Friday. So you guys got to hurry up because uh, I'll be I'll only be back earliest late 2024. So, Sugar Sammy, the Canadian tour begins in Winnipeg this weekend at Rumors. A pleasure to speak to you once again, Sugar Sammy. Thank you for joining us. Hey, same here. Thank you so much. And if you go to the show, trust us. It's a great time. I saw him last time he was here. And it's just, I sat there and marveled at how he's able to just seamlessly go from person to person in the crowd and learn a little bit about them and then tell a funny story, crack some jokes, have some fun with them, and everybody knows he's just it's, he's being playful. He's not there to pick make fun of you. Incredibly intelligent. No two sets are the same, clearly, because of that interaction with the audience. And if you want to get a taste of it, Sugar Sammy's all over the social media. Well worth the investigation. And if you are even the least bit interested in going to the show, I would suggest you get all over it because uh, this is a show not to be missed if you're into live comedy for sure. And the website is sugarsammy.com.